Today, I'd, I'd uh, you know, in praying and thinking about what could I bring with, to you here today, we've been, we've been caught up in a, in a little series called Fix Your Eyes on Jesus. We've been speaking out of Hebrews chapter 12, just three verses out of that, out of that chapter. And then we've been sort of speaking around the narrative of this. I think that what I want to share with you today and what I feel like God's on for us today to talk about is fixes our eyes back into that place. I I wanted to actually start off with a question for you. How many of you ever heard those playful little expressions like, you can't give away what you don't possess? Have you guys heard that? How about that other one? I received a whole lot more than I bargained for. You know, those are, those are a couple of idioms that, that we're maybe familiar with. But such is the kingdom of God. It's uh, this great adventure that we've all signed up for. If, in fact, you've determined to follow and to fix your eyes on Jesus. This morning, I, I just wanted to take us to a story from the formative days, from the early church. And I, and I can't unpack it all, and I, of course, I'm not going to, but but if you've got your Bibles with you, I had invited you to do that. Some of you have got them electronically. You might have to kind of get them out of the sun while you're looking at them. But, but if you've got your Bibles with you, you can open up to Acts chapter 3. And we're going to read the, the first 12 verses out of, the, out of that. And this, of course, is the story of Peter and John who've gone to the temple. And as it reads... Uh, Luke records that Peter and John had went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Now when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently. And let me just say that again. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus, Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. And Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and he began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. I love that picture. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar that had being seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Now Peter saw his opportunity, and he addressed the crowd. I loved that. I couldn't leave that line out, because that, of course, creates a whole other narrative for us, doesn't it? Tom Wright, in expounding in his text, Tom Wright tells a story about a young man who sneaked into church one day. And I, and I want to share that story in my own words. 
He said that young man, he had hoped nobody would see him. The only reason the young man had come to the steps of that church that morning was because he was sweet on a girl who sang in the church's choir. And he was looking for an opportunity to catch up with her at the end of the service to see about asking her out. Unfamiliar with the protocols of church, he'd seen that people were going in and sitting down, so he did exactly the same. Now, just as the service began, an usher approached him. He excused himself and he interrupted the young man. The usher explained that they had a small problem and could, could he possibly help them out? Now, the person who had agreed to read the morning passage hadn't turned up, it seemed. And was there a possibility that he could, he could maybe take his place? Now, the young man, he was at first horrified. And then there was that thought. Suddenly, he saw an opportunity. The girl he had had his eye on was up front in the choir. And wouldn't she be impressed if she heard him reading in the service? So he agreed. And after the selection of scriptures was shown to him, he took the Bible to the front of the church and he began reading from John's gospel. He wasn't so unfamiliar with the writings, but he was, but he, he even vaguely recognized the story that he had just begun to read. And from those red letters of his Bible that was handed to him, he began to read, anyone who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in another way is a thief and a bandit. The young man was struck to the heart. This is exactly what he had done. Standing there, pretending to be a, a regular Bible reader, when in fact the only reason he stood in front of the church was to impress himself on that young girl that he'd fancied. If he was the bandit coming under false pretense, what was the alternative? And he forced himself to go on. I am the gate for the sheep, Jesus said. The bandit only comes to kill and to steal to, and destroy. I, I came that they might have life and have it to the full and to overflowing. Tom goes on to write, he says, in an instant, the young man broke from his sweat and stopped thinking only about himself. In fact, he had stopped thinking about the girl that had followed him into the church and he had almost forgotten that he was in front of the church and addressing the whole congregation or even that he had tried to pull one over on everyone. All he could think about was Jesus. Unaware that he was now causing a, a bit of a sensation among the people, the young man swung around and faced the clergyman leading the service. And looking at him, he said, is it true? Did he really come so that we could have real life, full life, like, it, like this? Is it, is it really that easy? To which the clergyman smiled and replied, of course it is. That's why we're all here. At the, that point, the clergyman invited the young man to join in the next song and, and to see what happens when you sing it like you really mean it. The young man was swept off his feet by the presence and love of Jesus, caught up like a, a sheep being led out by the great shepherd. He got a whole lot more, much more than he had in fact bargained for. See, this is how our lame 
man from birth had found himself. See, fortunate for him is that he had some friends. Maybe there, some of them were related family members. But they would carry him day after day, year over year, to the place in that beautiful gate of the temple in Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? Can you picture that? Day after day, begging for what he could. And at nights, his friends coming to gather him up and carry him home. Now seeing Peter and John, the original text literally mean, refers to alms. In essence, he was literally calling out to them to show charity, to practice mercy on him. Take pity on me. As you can see, I have no way to support myself. Look at me. Take mercy. In retelling the apostle's story, Luke accentuates two fascinating things for us. First, Peter and John stopped and they fixed their eyes on the lame man at the gate. They stared intently at him. That's, that's what the language of the Greek actually says there. Have you ever been ner nervous when somebody stares intently at you? <laughs> I've got a question for you. What do you think they were looking for? Anybody want to? What were they looking for? Go ahead, give away the ending of all of this. That's okay. Yeah, to see God's presence on the man. Do you think that they were evaluating the man, looking at his spirit? Yeah. Checking in with the master. I like that. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, and that's, that's been a part of the problem through culture is, is Connie suggested, you know, sometimes, you know, you're just getting what you deserve, you know, it's part of your punishment, right? Did they maybe see a heart full of pain and sorrow? Did they see maybe some other spiritual force that had held them captive for too many years? I mean, we don't really know all of it, Right? but they are stopping and they're discerning. Do they see somebody ready to be genuinely touched by God's healing love? You know, for the many times that I've read the story and even preached out of this, I've often wondered about the number of times that Jesus himself went through the gate beautiful. How many times did he go through that gate? And if this guy was in fact like a, you know, a regular part of that tour every time you came to the temple, did Jesus not in fact see him when he went through? I don't know. See, that's the stuff that I said I wasn't going to talk about, but now I'm starting to talk about it. <laughs> There's so much that you can take out of this story. I mean, it's beautiful. God knows some things, doesn't he? What did Jesus say that he does? When he, when he, when he had to you know, give evidence for the, the work that he did, even and especially healing on Sundays. <laughs> he, yeah, there you go, a couple of voices. He only does what he sees the Father doing. 
I can imagine Jesus looking at him and, and the father saying, not yet. Not yet. Not yet, son. I got, I got something in store for him yet. Yeah. I'm going to glorify myself through your disciples. Not yet. Not, not only did they fix their eyes on him, but they, they did something else, didn't they? What did they invite him to do? Remember the story? He invited them, didn't he, to fix their eyes on them. Have you ever had any of those uncomfortable sessions looking somebody in the eyes? Can you imagine how countercultural that was and out of the norm it was for him to actually have people lock their attention on him and fully look into his eyes and truly look upon him in the condition that he was, in his vulnerable state. And maybe some of the thoughts that that Connie had, had just raised here too, like, you know, who sinned in your life <laughs> that brought you to this place? What have you done? They, I, I don't know. But I do know that they were invited into a very personable space. As often with even beggars and panhandlers, they could sometimes, can't they be ashamed to catch the eyes of those people passing by? And how about for... Folks that are walking by, panhandlers and, and beggars. You know, I, I'm always thinking if I lock eyes with them, I'm going to have to give them something. I know it. Is that, like, am I the only one that thinks like that? No. I mean, do I have time to stop? Now, can I invite you, can I invite all of us to see that God is inviting all of us to see? Looking into the eyes of another person is certainly one of the most deeply human and vulnerable points of connections that we can exercise. It's going to take courage to do that. In many cultures of shame, it's something that is deeply frowned upon. Pushing through all those barriers and those years of disconnection, the apostles called the man to look at them. Push past it all. Look at us. Look at us looking at you. This is uncomfortable. <laughs> you can feel it. And secondly, something that Luke says, he says, now opening himself up to them, Peter spoke directly to the layman. We have connection. I, I've, I need to say something to you. I don't have what you're looking for. But I do possess something that I can give you. And he doesn't say stand up and walk. I mean, we've heard Jesus say that through some of the gospel narratives, haven't we? Maybe Jesus himself would have just said stand up and walk. But he does not unabashedly proclaim the authority that was given to him. And from where that healing power resides, in the name of Jesus, the Savior for Nazarene, get up and walk. Reaching out to Peter, and I love that, he reached out to him. And he helped him to his feet, and at once on his feet, his, 
His feet and his ankles became strong. They were healed in that instant. And immediately, I love this, he begins to walk alongside Peter and John. And he walks straight into the place of worship, walking and jumping and praising God and really making a spectacle out of God and maybe himself. All the people knew him as the man who had sat for years at the beautiful gate calling out for arms. That was his spot. I don't know that he had a reserve sign on it, but I'm sure if anybody tried to muscle in, his buddies would move them out, right? All of the people knew him as that man. And in a moment, the lame man went from the outside to the inside of God's house and worship in that single moment. It's powerful. And he worshipped in an abandoned joy with his whole body. That's what the jumping around's all about. With his whole body, he worshipped God and praised him, doing what he could never do before. And as a member of that Jewish community, he moved right in. Imagine how many relationships were changed in that moment. Powerful. What do we do with this guy? The religious people wanted to shut him up, right? That's reading ahead. We're not going there today. Do you ever wonder why we call on the name of Jesus when we pray? Have you ever thought of that? I used to wonder about that when I was sort of young in the faith. This is like a, something we brand it with at the end in the name of Jesus. Like, what is that? Do we... It's like, you know, all right, okay, I must mean he's done praying because he just said that in the name of Jesus thing when he was done talking a lot, right? But it's because of Jesus. The name carries an authority that he gives to anyone, any one of us who will follow after him. The lame man received a way more than he could even ask for, didn't he? <laughs> he wasn't expecting Peter not having any money, to, that was actually a, a very convenient thing in the kingdom of God, right? Because he could have just as easily, too easily maybe reached down into his pants and given him what he had. But he sensed something of God, didn't he? Peter gave what he did have. He gave him what he possessed in Christ Jesus and that he had found for himself. Like Jesus taught and modeled for them throughout his entire life and ministry, those three years that they spent with them, and with their hearts firmly set to follow in the way of Jesus, I believe Peter and John fixed their eyes on what the Father was already doing. And then they simply moved into partnership with his Holy Spirit to bring about God's healing and restoration in the man born lame from birth. Wow. Let's rewrite that man's story right here and right now. Maybe there's some of you here today with like a rewrite on your story. I don't know. We can ask for that. I believe, but you do know that God doesn't waste any of it, right? That's the beautiful thing about God. I believe God has more for us and for others than we are often aware. If I had another idiom that I could add to it. I says, we can't give away what we don't know that we already have. Do you know what you have? 
And especially so in this season, God is inviting us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to look for the work of our Father's kingdom. It isn't more complicated than that. But slowing yourself down and making time and space for him, securing a way to to hearing in his voice and to loving that voice when you discover it, to, to discovering God in the silence, learning that art of walking with him. God's always speaking, even when he's quiet. Listen, if, if you fix yourself and your life on that, I'm going to guarantee you something. You will not be disappointed. And you will receive a whole lot more than you bargained for. Right? What a great invitation for people. So this is where I would turn here and I'd say to Debbie, Debbie, so what do you think of that narrative that we just... (laughs) What did you just say? I didn't hear you. (laughs) Yeah, you're laughing, but that happened. (laughs) Just just a quick testimony. I'm not going to go into the bigness. If you want to have coffee later, I can share it later, but just the beginnings of my healings years ago, um, I was at a Sunday school meeting, and my sister was there, and we were at Brian and Sue West's house, and my heart was aching for, you guys want to hear? <laughs> wow. My heart was aching for relationship with my sister, because we're in the same church, we, we believe the same God, but we have no, our relationship was this, it was, we, we made do in this, our same space, and, but my heart was aching for more. So we were at Brian and Sue West, and Brian, I know, is very sensitive. So if things get stirred up, he, God will show him a few things. So I said, God, can you talk to Brian and tell him that I need prayer because I don't want to ask for it. So... So everybody went home, and we're still, Brian says, Brian was coming back from another meeting, and my sister Nancy and I were um, finishing up there. And as we were leaving, it's like 10, 30, 11 at night, my mind is going, we were just talking. And then all of a sudden, Brian looks at me, and he goes, Debbie, can I pray for you? And I went, yes. I have to tell you, I also said, can you only tell him some things? Because there's some stuff I'm not ready to deal with yet. Just, just don't, don't reveal everything about my past. That'll... So anyhow, but it came to a place where we sat and we prayed. And the first thing he said to me is, Debbie, I want you to look me in the eye. I couldn't do it. But I didn't realize my whole life I couldn't look people in the eyes. There were spiritual things, and there was healing stuff. But I would be like this, and I could never look. And, and I remember, and again, I'm not going to go into the other details, um, but it was pretty spectacular. But, uh, it was pretty spectacular. But, but I'm not telling you, because it's hot out here. But I remember him, and I didn't know I couldn't look him in the eyes. And we went through many layers of healing and deliverance and seeing angels and stuff. But at the end, I could look them in the eye. Now I love looking people in the eye. And when I see that that person actually can't look me in the eye, I go, 
you need more love. You need, we need to go deeper. We need, it's just, it's a healing process. It's not that I was bad. I didn't even know I, I couldn't even look people in the eye. But with all of us, there's layers of healing. And we need to love well. God showed me when we were still at St. Andrews, showed me a picture of we are, can be so quick to make an assessment about someone's life, uh, get frustrated at them because they don't follow through, or, you know, they're just idiots. <laughs> I'm not in camera right now, so I can say whatever I want. <laughs> it's your word against me. <laughs> this is being recorded. What? Yeah. Is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, like I was saying, <laughs> shoot. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, what God showed me was, I want you to push that veil off your eyes, and I want you to dare to invest into person and see what I see. And um, it was neat. I've been reading this book, and, and it's talking about the mothers and fathers of the world and how some of us, and you guys know my story, I didn't have, I didn't have a dad in my life and not a real help. The mother. I had a mother, but not healthy. But God sometimes calls us to step out of our comfort zones. People can receive Jesus. They can um, they they can have a full experience of God. But God sometimes calls us to be fathers and mothers to others to help them in this maturing of trust and love. And it's it's just it's really. Yeah, he uses, he uses all of us in all that. So for me, it showed me, okay, Debbie, kick the attitude to the side. I need to actually, maybe just actually, I just really need to trust and be focused on God and just slow myself down and know that many of us, we need healing. We need mothers and fathers. We need love, true love, you know, People to stick with us when we are non-stickable. Stickable. Stuck. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> we don't want to hang with you anymore. But to, and I have a friend, actually years ago, and she was going through a real tough time with her menopause and that. And she sometimes was not really lovable. or And a lot of people actually rejected that person. But I chose to love even though it was the toughest thing in the world, but that's where we need Jesus to help us through it. But, um, yeah, we look people in the eye. We love. We love deeply. We, you know, we don't understand. We pray. We ask the Spirit of God to open our eyes to see what he sees. We invite the Holy Spirit to come in and uh, to just, you know, we're supposed to be Jesus on earth here. We're to be him. We're supposed to love. How can people love our Heavenly Father if they don't even see it through us who proclaim to know Jesus? So, anyhow. That's all you got to say? Well, thanks, honey. Yeah, you really, you really are. Remember we talked about this at the house before I came up here once in a while. This has got nothing to do with this. I just want to say this morning when I was having a shower, I was thinking of our, our, our church body, and I was praying, going, just, I, I wasn't even really asking anything, but I felt 
like God was saying to us as a body, it's right around the corner, hang in there, but he's got a special place for us to gather, and, and same with COVID, let's hang in there, and, uh, but let's not lose hope and keep praying, because I really felt like this thing bubbling up so strong that it's, and his word to me was just hang in there, it's just around the corner. Yeah. Well, the freedom to gather, right? Um, you know, in this space. Debbie wants a building. Jesus, you heard your daughter. <laughs> uh, so anyways, why don't you all stand? You've been sitting. Mm. So I just, uh, what I would like is for us just to just quiet ourselves. And let's just invite the Holy Spirit uh, to speak over us, right? Like, you know, if you've come here today and you've desperately, like desperately in your heart, you've been like Debbie saying, I, I, I really need, I need some folks to pray into my life. And I don't know how awkward that's going to be with COVID. I, I don't even know that I can bring that up. But I mean, if that's you today, you're just saying, I really need a, just a couple of people just to hang out with me and just to pray over me, then, then just avail yourself here today to that. Um, you know, we're here for one another, and, and I, I believe just even the, even the message today, it's, 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 it ought to be an encouragement to you. God has a way more for us than we bargained for or even settled for. We've actually settled for less, to be quite honest. And God has just so much more for us, and it's good. So as we pray and we quiet ourselves, just uh, be asking the Lord just to give you just one or two words, just just speak aloud over us. Maybe there's just something that God wants to impress on your heart. So come, Lord God. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak out over us. I just... I just stir up the authority of, of Jesus in your people, Lord, in us. Yeah, your presence, Lord God. Open our eyes to see our hearts to receive, to perceive what you're doing. Yeah, so God was speaking through nature all around us. As Barb was saying, how many of you saw that bird? So, there was a number of us with our necks like curled right up, right? And then he, he just kept going to right out of sight. And he never once, as Jamie said, flapped his wings, right? He just kept climbing. Yeah. Look up because your redemption draws near, right? Good word. <laughs>